Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people just like you working to understand viruses and how they affect you. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we are talking with students involved in coronavirus and COVID-19 related research so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackray, and I am hosting this podcast from America's heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. The cost, speed, and availability of reagents continue to plague COVID-19 research and testing efforts to date. On October 7th, 2020, we talked with Christian Mugisha, a graduate student in the Kutluwe lab at Washington University School of Medicine, who worked on a test to help resolve this issue. Christian got his undergraduate education at California Baptist University as a Rwandan presidential scholar and joined the Molecular Cell Biology graduate program at Washington University in 2017. He is currently studying protein RNA interactions of HIV-1. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you, Larissa. Uh, my name is Christian. I'm a Molecular Cell Biology PhD candidate here at WashU in the lab of Dr. Sebla Kutluwai. I'm originally from Rwanda, and I'm very interested in viruses. So to follow up on that, um, back, back in Rwanda, how did you become interested in viruses or just biology in general? I have to say at the beginning, my interest was overall in science. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, we used to have uh, visitors. My high school was a science-focused high school, and we used to have visitors from the University of Rwanda as well as from universities in other countries come and tell us about different projects they did in biology, chemistry, and sometimes physics. And it was very intriguing to me how all those guys could think way beyond the obvious. And I thought that was something that I wanted to do. And is your family um, involved in science or a sort of higher education? What was your background? Uh, no. So my dad is a mechanic and my mom uh, was for a long time uh, a secretary, but they are both, they both have high school degrees. Um, so my interest in science was mainly due to the Rwandan government uh, outreach programs, uh, they were trying to encourage younger generations to be involved in sciences. Can you describe in a little bit more detail sort of the precise steps that you took to get to your bachelor's and then to your PhD? So the education program in Rwanda, I think, is a little bit different from that in the U.S. Uh, in a way that starting with 10th grade in Rwanda, you have to focus on three main subjects. And I chose to focus in, on physics, chemistry, and biology. And I was mainly interested in biology and chemistry. Uh, and the Rwandan government had this program where they would uh, pick some science students based on performance, and they would give them scholarships to 
countries in Europe or the US, uh, sometimes China as well. And I was very fortunate to be chosen as one of the Rwandan scholars. And my scholarship led me to go to college at California Baptist University, which is a small college in Riverside, California. What was that like, uh, moving uh, to Riverside from Rwanda? (laughs) It was a a very big difference. (laughs) It was a very big difference. I think uh, my first year, I didn't even really notice much change because there was so much excitement. But starting with my sophomore and junior year in college, it started to be a little hard because then I was noticing the differences between the cultures uh, and I had to find ways to adjust. And how did you get to your then, uh, once you graduated, how did you pick your next lab? So my college was a small liberal arts college and there was not much science going on beyond teaching. And as an undergrad, I had to find uh, research opportunities, mostly during the summer time. And I was involved in two research programs uh, during my sophomore and uh, junior year in college uh, at Princeton University. The first time I worked in the lab of uh, Mohammed Donia, and they focused mostly on small molecules that uh, regulate interactions in the human microbiome. And the second time around, I worked with uh, Dr. Zema Gitai, and uh, we worked on a project on antibiotic resistance. And that's really when I noticed, well, I started having interest in going to grad school uh, as I was working closely, closely to one grad student and postdoc at the time. And I was looking for the best uh, microbiology programs, and I think that's what led me to ask you. How did you actually pick the lab you're in today? So that was, I have to say, when I got to ask you, that was a little bit of a not an easy decision to make. Uh, During my uh, orientation, I met with my current mentor, Dr. Sebakut Wai, and I was very interested in her work, mostly because it's not, uh, we, for the record, we work mostly on HIV biology. And I was very interested because the work involves also some molecular biology, uh, like the protein-RNA interactions. And I thought that was something that could be applied if, if I later wanted to work in a different field. Um, so that was one thing. But the other thing was finding the best fit for myself. I think when I came to Wash U, I was I was struggling with confidence to say <laughs> uh, they, I had not I didn't have much experience with uh, lab work, 
And I think that Sebla was willing to let me learn uh, early and she was very supportive and I thought that was a really good fit for me. I guess to follow up on that, what's been the most difficult thing you've had to overcome so far in your, uh, your scientific career so far? I think the most difficult thing for me has been to learn not to rush and to be patient. Uh, so when I got here first, uh, I have to say it's always been my experience during research. I always want to rush and learn things in one day, which is pretty much impossible. Uh, so I think I've learned to that it's best to be patient, uh, do one thing at a time, uh, learn, even if it's a slow process, but you can't rush the learning process. How did you overcome that? There has been a lot of help from others, uh, my mentor and uh, senior people in the lab, as well as my uh, cohort members. Uh, I remember we, have a, we had the senior student in our lab who just graduated, but she also used to tell me how it's taken her a long time to learn all the things she was able to do. And I started to realize that I also have to go through the same steps and it couldn't be a one night thing or gain all the skills overnight. So to follow up on that, if you had a chance to ask your older self, say you 60, 70 years old, you're getting close to retirement maybe, one question, what would you want to know? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I would ask myself, oh, Christian, how did you publish all these papers? I'm kidding. <laughs> I think I would ask myself, uh, what, what should I avoid and uh, what qualities should I develop, should I have developed to become a good scientist? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your research before COVID hit, and then we can go into what you've been working on more recently. So before COVID uh, hit, uh, we were working on uh, uh, protein RNA interactions in HIV-1. Uh, and uh, in, rec in recent years, like the past six years or so, uh, there have been a lot of work showing that uh, there is interaction between uh, HIV genomic RNA and a key enzyme, uh, HIV enzyme, integrase. And it was mostly interesting to the people in the field uh, because uh, these interactions, if inhibited, can uh, lead to the formation of non-infectious uh, HIV particles. And there are some uh, compounds which cause similar effects. Uh, so before COVID started, we had been working on understanding the mechanisms that regulate these protein RNA interactions in HIV. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started on COVID? So it was... I was out of the lab for about three weeks, and 
there are a few there are a couple of people in the lab who kept working and I also was discussing with Sebla she we told we talked that uh, there are some methods in the lab that could be modified and used for COVID research and one of the th things we discussed was using this uh, assay that is usually used to quantify HIV uh, particles and we thought that the method could be uh, modified a little bit and we could make a new version of it that would be cheaper and faster to use to quantify COVID. Oh, great. So, and is that what you guys were able to do? So we've uh, made this uh, assay uh, and it basically helps. It's a, it's a PCR assay. Uh, and I think uh, previous to our assay, most of the methods that were in place would go through different RNA extraction steps uh, before you could perform assay to quantify uh, the SARS virus. And uh, using our approach, we can bypass the RNA extraction steps, which are very pretty much expensive and very time consuming. And we thought that with this new approach, uh, the science community could save a lot of time and resources and that would make uh, COVID research much faster. Are you continuing to work on SARS or do you have other projects that you're working on? I work on SARS now, but it's not my major focus for now. Uh, so every now and then uh, in the lab, we'll have uh, different compounds that we want to test and see if they can uh, stop uh, SARS replication. And usually when there are such compounds to be tested in the lab, Sebla uh, will let me do the work. Uh, but as of now, I'm back to doing HIV-1 work. So I guess more on the personal side of things, can you describe how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected you as an individual? It has changed a lot, I have to say. <laughs> Uh, I'm usually not a very extroverted person, so I don't go out, but I like to play uh, sports, basketball and soccer. Uh, and it's usually the main thing I do to like forget about science if I have to do that. Uh, and that's not that has been something that I can do during the pandemic. so, I've tried to find new ways to talk to people, uh, either by doing, uh, there are games we can play on Zoom, uh, and by finding things I can do at home. I now have a dog, so it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's, there are many new things that I've done to try to adjust to the new way of living. And um, do you still have family in Rwanda? How's it, how is the COVID pandemic there? Uh, yeah, so my entire family lives in Rwanda, except for my one brother who lives in Europe. Uh, and the pandemic there, it has been contained for the most part, 
but my mom works at a grocery store and we've had to convince her that she doesn't need to work, which is sometimes hard to do uh, because she likes to go there and talk to people. Um, and most of my family has not been affected, but I think the government there has done a good job containing the virus. I think as of last month, uh, we have had we had had less fewer than uh, 400 cases uh, in the whole country, which I think is pretty good. What are your thoughts about why it's so different in different countries? Like, why have some countries been so badly affected? And yet, for example, Africa in general and Rwanda, it sounds like, has largely been spared. Uh, yeah, I think there are like three main uh, reasons. Uh, I'll definitely speak for my region in East Africa, Rwanda and like Uganda at least. Uh, so the first reason would be, I think people there are very likely to follow like government instruction, uh, mostly because there are also like kind of strict uh, fees and uh, punishment if people don't follow their uh, instructions. Um, but the second thing is that I think most articles that I read uh, with concerns on what was going to happen in Africa, like the thing that most articles seem to leave behind is 70% uh, of the countries in Africa are rural areas. And in, in all those rural areas, there are times where you can find a large area where there is only like three family and there would rarely be people from like the city going to those rural areas. So in rural areas, they have hardly been any case uh, because they are kind of isolated and uh, people in the city don't tend to go there very often. And people from other countries certainly don't go to those areas. Uh, so the government, uh, focus in stopping the spread of the virus was mainly in the city. And since they did the pretty fine job in the city, that uh, the spread was easily contained. So I guess as a virologist, how do you think about how to keep yourself safe? I take all the uh, instructions uh, and recommendations from the CDC pretty serious. So I've always had a mask and I, I can't believe that that's something that's up for debate, but I think it's very helpful. Uh, and I always carry a hand sanitizer, uh, which I think also helps a lot. Um, and besides that, really, I, I try to know the people I'm talking to, uh, make sure that they also uh, follow the same regulations and recommendations. Um, and I think for the most part, my concern has that I could infect other people in the lab if I ever get it. 
so usually I try to take my temperatures before I go to work. And if I feel any symptoms, I, which has happened only once, I, 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 I felt like I had a sore throat at the time. Uh, if I feel like that, then I can ask the blood to stay at home. Okay, well, I think we're winding up. Do you have any last messages for our listeners? Any thoughts about the future of the COVID-19 pandemic? We're now, what, almost eight months in, heading into the fall and the winter. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are people uh, find ways to find ways to stay safe and uh, be patient. Uh, it's a very different change it, it's a it's a big change in our lifestyles and uh, we are all going through this so be patient and uh we can hope that there will be a vaccine hopefully some time in the near future and we'll get through this eventually all right great thank you very much Christian's previous HIV-1 research allowed him to quickly set up a simplified assay to detect SARS coronaviruses, which he hopes will expedite COVID-19-related research and the ability to assess new countermeasures for SARS-CoV-2. This has been Let's Meet the Virologist, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, and Amazon Music Podcasts or at lmtv.podbean.com. If you are a virologist interested in sharing who you are and what you do, please contact us at letusmeetthevirologists at gmail.com.